Like my rhythm is bad. <laughs> Your rhythm is bad. So here we are one week removed from talking to Craig Shoemaker. And it's interesting because a week ago when we talked to him, that's when the hurricane was hitting the West Coast. Yeah. And the hurricane hit here, I guess, over the last 24 hours. Well, not here. Right. And that's um, thank you for all the messages from everybody. But I mean, it we're nowhere near it. I mean, we got a couple of the little thunderstorms that like kind of their feeder bands. They feed the hurricane. But I mean, we've gotten worse storms on just like a normal afternoon. Yeah, it, it was not. It was not. You know, thank you again to everyone who checked on us. But we're fine. We're doing well. Uh, and to anyone who did sustain damage, you know, all the best to you. Because I know that the recovery efforts are happening other parts of the state and other mm -hmm. parts of the country. Speaking of damage, though, someone who's doing damage on the summer concert scene this year, Karina Reichman. She is our guest this week. I'm going to talk to her in a little bit. Very cool opportunities coming her way, and we're going to talk about that. But it got me thinking about the whole summer concerts and festivals. And I think back to really the first concert I went to was a festival. Now, really? when I say a festival, it was local bands. Oh, God. We're, we're, and, and we're <laughs> oh, talking... <laughs> Local bands, summer of 1988. All right, so <laughs> that wait, that could have been poison at that point in time. No, they were they were way kicks. bigger. They, they they were way bigger by then. Kicks okay. and Poison were local guys uh, okay. who came through there, but but that time they were doing international tours. Mm -hmm. All right, we're talking about the guys who came after them. Right. And there, there aren't necessarily a lot of great bands that came after them, but there were a lot of bands that tried to emulate that style. Yeah. And yeah. you're also talking about me being 13 years old and uh, going with my uh, my cousin, who's 16, you know, and I'm dealing with guys that are all 16, 17, 18 years old. And I'm the 13 year old kid just trying to fit in. So I'm doing everything that they do times 10 just to try and keep up and show that, that you know, I, I can hang with the guys. You were 13 at your first music festival. I, you know, when I say festival this it might be a little loose with the term <laughs> it was called the mountain of rock and this happened and you know my small hometown i've talked about this is town of less than a thousand people yeah it had a suburb and and the mountain of rock was held in that suburb uh and it was basically this dude's backyard uh <laughs> when i say this was a ticketed event that uh -huh. you know for a 13 year old kid to go and see six or seven bands on the back of a flatbed truck and this uh, was basically the guy had a hill in the in the back of his yard uh -huh. okay so you sat on the hill and the flatbed was at the bottom of the hill and you were at, you know, it could go there it was byob how many people i would say you know again my 13 year old fuzzy brain because again byob i took advantage of that at 13 years old i was drinking and doing everything else that i could i you know maybe maybe do 300 people into this guy's backyard that and was like the thing to do though i mean in that area that, that was Again, as a 13 year old kid, people are handing you beers and whatever else, and you're having a ball. Yes, it, it, it was a. I, again, I uh, I do have some memories of uh, a falling down said hill because I was stumbling drunk and going home to my mom and dad's and dunking my head in in the bathtub to try and sober up. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I thought the cold water. I'm like, why don't I dunk my head? And that that will sober me Did up. Did it work? Uh, I don't think so. I also uh, coated myself in, in fruit punch, thinking that would cover the smell of the alcohol that I had. Consumed. You coated yourself in fruit punch. Well, like I you just spilled it on yes. yourself. You see, I wanted to go buy banaca, but I didn't have enough money, and my cousin would not give me the money. He's like, you, "This is your own problem that you started this, and so now you have to deal wow. with it." Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my first. Oh my gosh, my first my first concert was 
I was, oh my gosh, I was like 15 or 16. It was New Kids on the Block. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, kind of similar age, but no, a totally different audience. (laughs) But my first festival, my first music festival Hmm. was with you at Rock Allegiance at Hershey Park Stadium in, my gosh, 2012. Well, yeah, yeah, it would have been it'd been the yeah, summer of 2012. 2012. So I mean, wow. I was yeah, I was well into my 30s. Well, I mean, think about it. The first like festivals really. I mean, I know there were a few small ones, but festivals really got popular with Lollapalooza, right? And I, that wasn't like a thing like that came around where you I lived was. in Miami. You lived in Miami for 10 years. Yeah, There's no excuse. There were not a lot of festivals. Now, what about out in Hollywood? I mean, I know that like just outside the city that a lot of the festivals, there's no excuse. I, I don't want to hear that it wasn't a thing. Like you said, it started with Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. That'd be 1991. Yeah. Right. You had plenty of opportunity places around the country. Whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think I think I become jaded with the whole summer uh, festival. I'm not thing. done talking about my festival. Oh, Sorry. Because my first festival was traumatizing. And then my festivals really didn't get any less traumatizing starting out because the people that we went with to the festival got a little weird. All right. So we'll, well start there. Let's back up. The people that we went to, the people that we went to the festival with were already a little weird beforehand. You knew that the guy that I took with us. I had no idea. You, honestly. You, no, I had no idea he was quite that weird. He got really weird. <laughs> he got like super strange. Okay, in the well, no, of I, did, I did have to. I did have to tell him a few times. Calm down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a grown man, as an adult man, a man older than me. Yeah. That was that was an odd position to be. Where yeah. at some point you feel like you're babysitting. That was odd. But but to his defense, it's not like it was just the festival beforehand. He was weird going in. We just didn't know it was going to get that weird. Yeah. Puddle of mud was there. Wes Scanlon was in his usual like festival. I don't know. His he face was, was redder than a fire truck. He was yeah, pretty high. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, he was not in good shape. And um, STP, my first and only time that I got to see Scott Weiland, right. and he was not in good shape either. I mean, we ended up leaving in the middle of the STP set at the very end because it was. I don't know if we left in the we middle. We left third song yeah, in. We didn't yeah, even we get didn't to the middle. First song they came out. Played an unfamiliar, and mm-hmm. when you're going to see Stone Temple Pilot as the headliner of the festival. I'm sorry to Leo Brothers, if you had any say in, in the lineup and what your, your set list was, I want to hear the hits. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I understand you need to save some for later, but you need to start with a big hit. Yes. Didn't have a big hit. Second song was uh, maybe someone was a little familiar, but sounded a little bit off. And I looked at you and I said, all right, we'll give it one more song. Mm-hmm. And the third one, Scott Weiland, was just not sounding good at all. And it wasn't just us. It was really a good yeah. 60% of the of stadium. It was super sad. Headed toward the door. Yeah, I had a chance to see Scott Weiland twice I- in my life. I saw him that time where he was just not good. And it's very sad. So I did have a chance to see uh, Scott Weiland with Velvet Revolver. Absolutely amazing then. But yes, he, he was bad at that festival. What I was talking about earlier is I do think that I become jaded because of 30 years of broadcasting and being in that environment a lot. And that's what I always wanted as yeah. a kid. Yeah, uh, yeah. Going back to that, that first festival that I went to. I knew I wasn't going to be the guy to play guitar, mm-hmm. but I could be the guy to go out and introduce the bands. Yeah. Right. And I had and a chance. you're good at it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I like working in the crowd. It's fun for me. It's fun. for, And I, it's, we seem to have a good time. I become jaded, though, because of the access that broadcasting gave me. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, the thing is, we never had to pay for tickets. 
uh, had backstage access to a lot of things. In fact, one of the festivals that I did get a chance to go to is one of the biggest festivals in rock history would be OzFest. I had a chance to take listeners to OzFest in a limo uh-huh. and go backstage and meet Zach Wild, which that's is incredible. absolutely insane. Yeah, that's what incredible. an amazing opportunity. However, that experience, when I got to the gate, I found out that the backstage passes provided to me by the record label did not include tickets for entry to the actual event. Oh, no. Yes. So So you can't even get in to go backstage. Exactly. Ah, I am on the phone with the record label Mm, trying to get this all figured out. And he said, I'm sorry, bro. I thought you had tickets to the show. I can only get your backstage passes. Mm -hmm. At which time I pulled out my credit card and paid roughly $500 for four tickets to OzFest. And so that our listeners could proceed. But well, I guess it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it's 20 years ago. Those were those were like the golden, uh, that was like up front 20 oh, years wow. ago. And then like, I'm like, hey, well, if I'm going to take my listeners, going to make sure that they get, you know, everywhere they want to be. And the listeners had such an amazing time. In fact, later on, they find out that during that visit where they went to see uh, OzFest, they uh-huh. met Zach Wilde backstage. Later that night, she actually got pregnant that night. Wow. And they named their kid Zach because of the experience. Uh Uh-huh. And they named their dog Quinn. (laughs) That's a true story. That absolutely happened. Yeah, let's see. Festivals. That was your worst experience? I mean, I know that you were jaded, but I would say that's a pretty bad experience because you didn't get the money back from that, did you? No, I never did get the money that's... back. I'm still friends with the guy that used to work with the label. Uh, he tried to say that he you know, couldn't put it on his expense report, never did get the money back. So $500 down, did get a chance to meet Zach Wilde. I'm backstage at OzFest. I'm hanging out on his bus watching Saturday Night Live as his kid runs around, and we're having a Heineken together before he goes on stage. That's a $500 experience? Yeah, I'll take that. That's fine. We did a lot of festivals after that, though. I mean, we've done uh, Rockville. Uh, Welcome to Rockville here in Daytona. Never did it in Jacksonville. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have. Uh, Doing a festival on concrete is awful. It is the worst experience. It is so hot, especially here in Florida. Um, so I've done that. And Shiley Acres, when uh, you were talking about your first experience yes. and you being 13 and it being a backyard BYOB private property, yeah. that's how Shiley Acres started, too, except this was a huge pig farm. Yeah. Some decent bands for for what it was. But they closed and then reopened again in 2012. And we started going there. And again, I mean, it's we were treated like royalty there. But you are the absolute worst person to go with festivals. And Shiley Acres for me was probably one of the worst experiences because God rest his soul, Greg Shiley. He had the worst freaking porta potties like ever. That's <laughs> true. Like the worst most well, I swear on. to God, they, they were from they the original They weren't the worst like, ever. They were, that's the thing. They, they were, were the original the ones. From, he got his license. I believe it was 1970, 1978 when he got his concert license and he was able to put this uh, facility, mm-hmm. and, which really did start as a flatbed truck in his field. Like you said, BYOB, late 70s, early 80s. The, the heyday of the hair bands yes. that came through there and yes. then ended up shutting down, I believe, in the early 90s but retained the license uh, and Smart. then yeah uh, 2012 
decided he was going to start doing concerts again. And then for a new generation, not to bring back the hair bands again, but yeah. to bring back this new generation of rock bands that are out there touring. And they did bring in some big names. We mentioned Zach Wilde. I mean, someone like that who came through. And some really times. big bands uh, that we had a chance to see. And saw yeah. Buck Cherry there a couple times. My Darkest Days. Yeah, we saw quite a few bands. I was told that I hung out with uh, the guys in Filter. I don't remember it. I had a bit too many soda pops. But from what I hear, we had a great conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know. <laughs> you don't remember much because I don't think you also remember like these porta potties, not only did they come straight from the seventies, but they didn't really have like good locks on them either. No, that's true. And the one backstage somehow didn't have a fing lock on it. <laughs> And all your job was, you had one job, <laughs> one job, the job. And, and I am fast in the porta potties. I am fast. I don't know in the who, who's not. Who likes to hang out in there? There are really gross dudes that spend time in there. I've, hey, I've waited in line long enough to like see how long people spend in there. But you had one job, like 30 seconds. Just hold the door shut. Just hold the door shut. Backstage at the festival. And Lou Brutus walked by. Then the fellow radio guy who I've been and a fan of and I had a chance. walked away. I, I turned into a fanboy. I turned into a fanboy real quick to go say hi to Lou and to get a picture. And I I yeah, so, let the, the door fly wide shorts open. Shorts around my ankles. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Backstage at the show. That was fantastic. Well, someone who did a lot of festivals this summer. Our guest today, Karina Reichman. Let's go. Right on. Right on. This is uh, an online station called Gen X FM. It's an alternative rock uh, station online, so nationwide. You're going to talk to Quinn. Quinn, perfect. I've never been called perfect as an introduction, so I'll take it. How are you, Karina? Hey, Quinn, I didn't know you could hear me. What's going on now? I'm everywhere. I am everywhere. You are perfect, though. I know you're perfect. I know we're just meeting, but I can tell already you are perfect. What's well, I, look, first of all, I want to say congratulations. New album, Joyride. It's a decade coming. A lot of hard work there. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But first, you are a self-described punk rock metal kid. And growing up in New York City, I, I don't know if there's a better place in the country for punk and metal than the New York, New Jersey scene. My career, I've talked to a lot of people from the Ramones to Zach Wilde and now Karina Reichman. What are some of your earliest memories of punk and metal? Oh, man, great question. Yeah, I, you know, there was something very primal that, that drew me to this music as a kid. I, uh, I mean, I'm an enormous Metallica fan. I love Slayer. I love Pantera. But also, yeah, on the punk side of things, Bad Brains, Ramones. <sighs> yes. Um, I mean, the, the list literally goes on. Fugazi, Minor Threat, Sick of It All, Cro-Mags. I mean, from the New York hardcore scene to far, far, far beyond. Of course, I love the Clash. Of course, I love the Sex Pistols. You know, uh, I'm. I love Helmet. Helmet, yes, is the most unsung. Haha, -ha, New Prong. York fans ever. So you know, that's huge. Come on, let's go. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Let's go Things deep. Differ. Yes, yes. Like Great we gotta stuff. go. We gotta. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, how much time you got? We can go super deep. Anthrax. You know, I'm. Oh I'm, well, I'm yeah. New York. In. Let's talk about the, the the whole New York and anthraxing. I mean, because of, because of Anthrax, they introduced me to so many things as I'm growing up. When they're doing stuff from Joe Jackson, Got the Time, and those bass lines in there, that's something that just grabs you and makes you want to learn more about the history of music. 
That can we talk about that for a second? Yes, that please. Joe Jackson record is yes. one of those things that, like you know, I to me that is one of the strongest examples of bass performance and songwriting mm-hmm. on a record. And I couldn't agree more. Like all of those tunes, I used to, uh, you know, I have a very dear mentor, uh, a gentleman named Dave Drywitz from the band Ween. Yes, and Dave and I used to just play along to that whole Joe Jackson record. And it, it was, you know, some of my most pivotal kind of moments growing up is playing along to Joe Jackson with Dave. So big fan. I agree. Anthrax, man, really got the time, 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 time ticking in my head. Yeah. You know, and you talk about bass and stuff. Unbelievable. Now, you yourself this past summer, major festivals, Bonnaroo, Sweetwater, many more. Festival life can be an amazing experience, but also an eye opener. What's the one memory you're going to take away from the 2023 festival season? Oh man. I mean, it's, uh, I love playing festivals. I'm such a, I'm such a huge fan of the whole experience. I feel like, you know, when you have an hour to wow people, you know, it's, it's really, it's an interesting thing with setless construction and, you know, bringing them on a journey and escalating things in a proper way with what with the time that you're given, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, you get a 45 minute festival set and whatever. To me, what I'm going to take away most from this festival season is just to really continue. And, I, and I've been doing this, but just to continue to really put thought and effort into the set and the set list and exactly how you're escalating your BPMs and exactly how you're taking people from point A to point B and transporting them and lifting the energy and lifting the room with you. You know, it's really just about, you know, the focus on the craft for me. Well, when you talk about working with Trey Anastasio, is that something that he's tried to help mentor you with? Is that especially known for his live performances is helping when you see a great live artist, it's exactly what you said, able to take control of the audience with your music and guide them through a journey that you have planned out. You're telling the story there and people have their eyes on you. Is that something that that he's helping with along the way? Well, it's a great question. You know, of course, what we worked on most in these last few years is uh, our, you know, the recordings. Of, of the songs, but it's really interesting to hear him talk about writing music for the live space uh-huh. and how there are many, many songs in the Fish repertoire, just about every song in the Fish repertoire, where he was conceiving of the writing of the tune for the setless placement. So he literally said, he was like, yeah, I needed another closer. So what did I do? I wrote Run Like an Antelope. Uh-huh. I needed another closer. So what did I do? I wrote character zero. And there, it just makes perfect sense when you start to like look and, you know, it's one of those things. And we, we've talked endlessly about like, you know, being at other people's concerts and seeing the crowd and studying the crowd and then like being so nerdy that we would tap the BPM tempo to see what tempo they were at, you know, and like all those things definitely have played into his, you know, mentorship of me, which is so beyond words to get insight like that. You know, I'm writing new tunes and always thinking of how they're going to play out live, you know, and what that means for me in the arc of a set list of the arc of the show. Do you eat before or after you go on stage? I know you're a foodie, so there's a lot of great festival food out there. Are you, are you chowing down before you go out? Or are you waiting until after you come off stage? 
Haha, it's a great question. I, uh, I'm, I'm an unabashed eater. I'm also very blessed with an extremely fast metabolism. I know, one of those things. Uh, so I'm eating pretty constantly. I eat, I'll tell you this, I'll eat before a show, certainly, often not as much as I will after the show. Because, boy, you have never seen Ravenous Reichman like you have <laughs> after a concert. Because your girl can put away, you know, an entire pie of pizza, you know, an entire, like, really, I'm, I'm, I'm ravenous after a show, for sure. I can, I can really put it away. So, uh, you know, I'm eating just about all day long, <laughs> except for the 90 minutes I'm on day. Well, when you spend so much time on the road, constantly playing and promoting, what's the one thing you think you learned about yourself that you didn't know going in? You know, there's so much. There's so much. I, I feel like I, I didn't know how resilient I am. And, you know, people always say about show business, right? It's like, don't get into this unless you really love it, you know, because it is hard and grueling and grinding and, you know, the amount of travel for the amount of play. And obviously, we're not doing it for the money, you know what I mean? So it's just one of those things I I didn't, I mean, I I knew, but I, I feel like if you saw me at 13, playing music ravenously and loving this so much and whatnot. Like, I, I don't know if I knew how much I really had this in me. And I feel like I really do have it in me, you know, to just keep going and keep playing. And it's, it's, it's my greatest joy, you know, it's one of those things where like find whatever you love and let it kill you. I'm literally one of those people that I'm just like, I, I have found it and I'm ready to let it take over my life. And I have let it take over my life <laughs> and I couldn't enjoy anything more, even with the grueling travel, sleeping on people's floors, you know, uncontrollable environments, crazy people, strange conditions. I'm here for all of it. It's one of those things where, you know, you couldn't really foresee that when you're a kid just starting to play and loving it so much, what lengths you're willing to go to, to play your music in front of people. And I feel like I'm pretty, pretty good to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, more than once there, you used the word joy and that explains why the album is called Joyride. You had multiple TV appearances, including today's show, America's Got Talent, but explain to me how you ended up with a reoccurring guest spot late night with Seth Meyers and what that experience was like for you. That has been really great. Uh, the bass player, his name is Sid Butler, who plays in the HG band. He, last year, uh, was going to his brother's wedding in Italy, and he knew about me and basically called me and said, hey, do you want to fill in for me on the show while I'm, you know, in on, on vacation? And I said, absolutely. And then I went down to Rockefeller Center and basically shadowed him for a day and learned exactly what it is they do and how they do it, which is a very interesting experience. And then, uh, yeah, my first appearance on the show was last September, where I played bass for, for that week. And then next thing you know, in November, they like found out that I also play guitar. Uh-huh. And they called me and asked me to sub in on guitar. And so I did that. <laughs> and then uh, next thing you know, it's May and it's actually, I literally was on Seth Meyers on the last show before the writer's strike. At wow. The, um, you know, so I was there on May 1st and was also playing guitar on that stint. And then there was sort of a somber, ominous vibe because people didn't know if they were going to 
have a job the right. next day, you know, yeah. and it was one of those things where they didn't know if they were going to strike or not, but they literally, you know, strike happened the very next day. So I was slated to be on that entire week. I was on on a Monday and the strike was called, you know, late Monday night. And, uh, that, that was that, that was that. But yeah, I mean, I love late night television. I'm a huge, just fan. like, you know, I watched a ton of it growing up. I'm a letterman, you know, letterman's YouTube channel is my new obsession. Letterman's YouTube channel and team Coco. Both of those together are such a great repository of decades and decades of amazing comedy performances. Oh my God. And, and boy, am I, you know, so to be able to do stuff like that. And it's so, it's so like, you know, I love quote unquote show business. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I love the bright lights. I love the, you know, the craziest part of that show is how, you know, these people have been doing it for forever and everybody down to the stage manager to the cameraman and, you know, the cue card holders and everybody is just constantly professional. And it's like watching you know, when they set and reset for each bit and interviews and whatnot, it, it's like watching, you know, this, the incredible mechanics go down. I love things like that. You know, it's, uh, it's really very inspiring to see people, you know, put a show on like that. So that's been a great part of the last year, certainly. And I look forward to, you know, the strike, God willing, getting resolved at some point and all of my friends on the show going back to work. Yeah, you know, you can hear it in your voice when you talk about this period in your career, why the album is called Joyride. Now, you're going to be back out on tour again. What can people expect from the new album and the live show? Oh, man, you can expect a good time. You can expect, you know, if you come to see the show, a jubilative, super fun, high energy, you know, ripper. (laughs) God willing, you know, I hope... uh, I hope to bring, you know, that sort of joy that I feel listening to the record to the live space. And I, and I believe that I do, you know, the best moments come when there's a dissolving between the lines of audience member and performer. And I think that stuff happens and it it just becomes one enormous energy transfer in the room where I'm dancing, you're dancing, I'm playing, you're playing in some crazy way. And we're all just in there in the moment doing it for the love of music and just, you know, celebrating life and having, you know, if I can offer people 90 minutes to two hours of just complete surrender to the moment and just forgetting about whatever's going on in your life. And just, you know, you're, you're now within the beat, you're within the groove. That's the greatest honor of my life. So, you know, I hope to bring that to the stage and I hope to, have a real good time playing these songs for everybody. You will be the shaman on stage conducting the spells as they dance along Karina Reichman debut album, Joyride. It has been a joy talking with you. Welcome back to GenX.FM anytime. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thanks for having me.